Hi, and welcome to Super Anti-Aging Podcast with myself, Steve Halpern. And at the start of this podcast, I want to thank my followers and subscribers. Thank you for sharing this on your social media so we can spread all this good information. And I'll do my best to give you the latest health information. Interesting study I came across on fenugreek. And it was found since a lot of men have an issue as they get older with testosterone uh, to increase testosterone levels. Now, of course, they said it was a special form of fenugreek and, you know, because it always has to be pushing it. But you might, if you're testing your own testosterone levels, uh, which you can do online now, and you can do saliva testing and it's a little trickier when you do it in the office or you do it with a regular blood test because you can have free testosterone, bound testosterone, serum binding hormone globulin binds up testosterone. So you have total testosterone and free testosterone. And it could vary, you know, in whether you just exercised or whether you had sexual activity. So finding the pattern is really important. And of course, maintaining, you know, there's been a uh, dichotomy of, uh, well, estrogen, estrogen, you know, it's a female hormone, and you only take estrogen if you're going to have a sex change or if you're a transsexual. No, estrogen is both men and women, and it's really super important. Stimulates mitochondria, stimulates stem cells, stimulates bone growth, stimulates healthy skin stem cells. And even involved in certain amounts in, uh, you know, uh, sexual desire and sexual functioning. Now, men can what they call aromatize or make some estrogen from testosterone. The problem is that if you have very low testosterone, <laughs> you're not you don't have ovaries, so you're not going to make estrogen. You might make some estrogen from you might make some testosterone and maybe some estrogen from your adrenals, but that's, you know, DHEA. You can play with the dose and do your saliva testing. You can play with the dose anyways uh, from 25 and up and see what happens. You know, the interesting thing about DHEA is that it was very popular. And there were books out, you know, decades ago on uh, all sorts of health benefits and studies and then somehow it fell through the wire and became available over the counter. And prescriptions, compounded prescriptions, which were going for you know, $100, dollars $150, suddenly now you could buy it for $10, $15 in a health store. So the research and the interest went downhill. Doesn't mean it's not important and DHA levels do drop as people get older. So getting back to the main topic of the testosterone, yes, you need the testosterone and uh, getting an adequate balance. Now, here's the key. And the key now, a mythology, and I say it's a mythology, and it was really a disservice to women. It, the, the women's nurse study, huge study, gave women, menopausal women, estrogen, in pill form, which probably is not always the best, because uh, there's always a risk of oral and blood clotting, 
and Premarin synthetic progesterone. Now, this is searchable. The results were, they said, well, it increased the risk of breast cancer. Okay, so women stopped taking it. Hmm. But it seemed to improve and decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease. Interesting. And the women who were taking the combination had a much lower risk of cardiovascular disease. Good thing. But of course now it caused breast cancer, increased breast cancer risk, and so no, no, women who were on it got off of it, which I think was a really big disservice. Now, he has an interesting piece. Again, and you can find this research. And eventually, <laughs> I'll start to put links to these. Or you want to email me at uh, um, Stephen, stephennutrition at gmail.com. Stephen with an S-T-E-P-H-E-N, nutrition, stephennutrition at gmail.com. I'd be very happy to send the link. Well, big surprise. The women who were put on just the estrogen and not the progesterone or the Provera, the synthetic progesterone, got much lower risks of breast cancer. The exact opposite that they were told. So, the conclusion is, I always take so as a little pause here. I don't know what I'm thinking because I do these without scripts. It is important to see a practitioner uh, menopausally or even if you're getting a lot of women are getting early menopause because of uh, so many um, hormone substances in the environment the preservatives and the, you know, the bisphenols and, and um, all sorts of plastics you know the forever plastics that are hormone disruptors and act like hormones so we're seeing we're seeing women in their 40s going through early menopause terrible terrible. So why I'm talking about women's health, uh, another big issue is we're seeing uh, with early menopause, we're seeing the concern with fertility and ovarian longevity. And so I did a search and uh, did some research and there's some interesting research on ovarian longevity and antioxidants. Right, antioxidants. How you get antioxidants? All the berries, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries. Lots of foods have those antioxidants in them. Maybe some supplemental vitamin C and glutathione, tocotrienol E, maybe astaxanthin. Uh, all powerful antioxidants. Now this was an interesting one. <laughs> I don't want to overdo the interesting, but it was really something that I think could be really, really valuable. And uh, it's still being studied. Well, I talk a lot about rapamycin. Rapamycin was originally looked at as an antifungal uh, compound from Easter Island. And it's still an antifungal, but then they discovered at a high dose it could be used for organ rejection. And that's what it's been used for, for people who get a heart, a lung, a kidney to help, not totally, doesn't help totally, but it's an adjunct to organ rejection. Mm. But there's some really uh, 
good scientist, curious scientist, discovered first in you know animals and, uh, and, and and bacteria and insects and all the way that they initially to rats and mice, and eventually even they're doing a dog project. They found that it can affect something called main target of rapamycin, which is sort of the thermostat and turn down, not the same as thyroid, but turn down um, growth. Well, why would you want to turn down growth? Well, when you're young, you want growing, growing, growing. When you're older, you don't want a whole lot of growing. Yes, I mean, if, you, if you're having mm, you know, surgery or you're having a wound, you might want growth. But growth also supports cancer, right? So you don't need the growth as you get older and some people cycle, you know, uh, rapamycin. I, I've personally had very good experience with rapamycin and metformin, which I'd be happy to share, uh, under, of course, under medical supervision and uh, testing. Well, interesting. Well, fascinating. I'm going to try a different word. Not interesting, fascinating, that so far in animal studies, it seemed to help prolong Fertility. That's right. Prolonged fertility. Now, the question would be, at what age do you do it? Okay. At what age do you selectively do the rapamycin to help with ovarian longevity? And that's still, you know, most of it has been in animals. The majority has been in animal studies, but it seems very, very promising uh, to look at because it seems that there's been a big shift, uh, certainly um, in my patients and uh, family members I know, in uh, waiting longer to have children, you know, into you know doing career and, and waiting until 30s and 40s to have children. And so anything that's going to help with ovarian longevity and uh, healthy births is uh, really super important. So let me get back to the hormones again. A big mistake is that it's not just estrogen. It's just not, there's not just one estrogen. There's what they call estrogen metabolites, which can be tested. You know, E1, E2, E3, and you know, they have different names. Estradiol, estriol. The issue is that the ratio is important because... There are anti-cancer properties in some of the estrogen metabolites. And so this is the curious part. How would that affect men? Well, it seems that, you know, when uh, men have, you know, prostate cancer, well, then testosterone is a problem. But what they actually found was just the opposite that lower levels of testosterone are actually related to more aggressive prostate cancer. And a lot of men in the 80s and 90s on autopsy have prostate cancer, and they've lived with it for decades. Why was it aggressive? Why didn't it spread? So that's important. The hormones are important. And if you're with a good practitioner, they might look at supportive things like a pregnegalone, the mother hormone that makes other hormones, and that can also be helpful. 
and then you can get into herbs like uh, black cohosh which can be helpful and uh, even chaseberry so there are ways of supporting uh, hormonal functioning and and surprisingly or not uh, we've seen advanced seniors who seem to have high hormone levels even even females have surprisingly high hormone levels they respect some of them got it from uh, the DHEA so how are you going to respond we all respond you know quite differently to uh, things you know, on the web now I spend a lot of time in academic uh, sources it's not like there's a shortage of information oh I know this and I'm not going to share this with anybody else because then someone else is going to have this information it's all over and so sharing the information so everyone can benefit, uh, whether it's uh, a practitioner or whether it's a supplemental manufacturer, or one, if it's going to truly benefit, I want to share the information. And you'll see in a moment where this all fits together. And I'm going to share this in future podcasts. I've been using various uh, broccoli sprout, broccoli seed products. I've tested a lot of them. Uh, from different companies, legitimate companies, and some not. And the idea that if you have broccoli sprouts and you have an enzyme called morosinase from chewing it, and it's 3-day-old sprouts, you'll make some sulforaphane. You know, Dr. Talladay from John Hopkins spent decades and decades showing it's an anti-cancer uh, substance. And over the years now, there are thousands of studies on sulforaphane doing everything from immunity to skin health to exercise benefits it just seems to be a wonderful miraculous uh, uh, phytonutrient and you'd have to eat pounds and pounds of broccoli and sprouts to really get therapeutic amounts and then the question is if you take a product in that has the glucoraphanin which is where basically an active sulforaphane is and you combine it with uh, radishes or a source of morosinase, it will become, under the right circumstances, sulforaphane. That's tricky. How much are you going to make in your body? Okay, and how is it going to be processed in your body? Are the right circumstances in your body? What are the probiotics that are going to help this? So it gets a little confusing. And there really aren't any standard tests to measure. They're very fancy tests to measure actually, you know, the, the production of uh, sulforaphane in the body from these precursor ingredients. So I'm going to keep you in the dark a little bit because I found uh, a product that is, uh, to my knowledge, um, the pure sulforaphane. Now there are other places that say they're pure sulforaphane, but. You know, when I back up and look at the research, they're really not. You know, they're mislabeling it. You know, they're, they're, what they're saying is it might become sulforaphane, so they put sulforaphane on the label, and it's very cheap. You know, sulforaphane tends to be pure sulforaphane, tends to be very unstable, and it needs to be, you know, stored at a certain temperature. So the idea that there might be a stabilized sulfur, real stabilized sulforaphane is very exciting to me, and I'll keep you updated on this because the possibilities for health are absolutely enormous including 
and the topic I mentioned, hormones. It seems that sulforaphane at sufficient quantities, and it tends to be fairly non-toxic. You'd really have to take lots and lots of it. And, uh, you know, how it works, we're just learning. It, it's sort of a, a stressor to the system, and then the system upregulates certain genes that are very beneficial, okay? Um, you know, through processes we call methylation of turning on certain beneficial genes and certain uh, energy pathways. So it, it's the chemistry and the biology of it is quite exciting. And there have been clinical studies on breast cancer, prostate cancer, and that seemed to be positive. But again, there wasn't really the controlled amount of sulforaphane. That was the problem. The problem is when you give it in a purely food form, knowing how much is actually uh, therapeutic gets uh, really tricky. So you have to tune in to the rest of these podcasts to see what's, what develops. And uh, we come to the end of this podcast. I hope uh, this was valuable. And if it is, please share it. Knowledge is health. And of course, as my mentor used to say, health is wealth. It's true wealth. And so again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing this on your social media, downloading it. And I will be... My goal, and I'm saying it's personal goal, is to put this on some other sites that are, you know, the bigger sites like uh, Apple and uh, uh, some of the other major, major podcast sites and also to uh, uh, do some more. You know, most of this has been solo and I'm planning on really doing interviews with all these wonderful scientists. So again, we come to the end. Stay healthy and stay well.